0: Welcome to the SHIFT Podcast. This this podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and the Haudenosaunee people. The creators of this podcast recognize that we are all treaty people and we accept our collective responsibility to each other and to reconciliation as we work towards an equitable and inclusive and accessible campus for all. On the SHIFT Podcast, facilitated by the Student Experience Office, you will hear from students of diverse backgrounds about their lived experiences here at Queen's University and their vision for creating a safer and more inclusive campus climate. We'll hear about how they believe that we can sustain this culture shift here at Queen's University. This week is a special week. It's an important week. This is Student Voices Week, and today is a special episode of the SHIFT Podcast. Today we have four amazing males at Queen's University who are gonna help us unpack the importance of male allyship. Before I even start, let's give them a hand for being here. We also have a live audience here for the SHIFT Podcast who are gonna help create a safe space and help contribute this conversation i want you to give yourselves a hand right here and i am your host Kwame Ose. i've been a coach here at queen's university for the men's and women's football team i'm currently the head of diversity and inclusion at nikki ray media look it up and today is a special day for me too because i'm going to sit back and i'm going to listen and learn take notes and implement whatever i learn into my personal and professional life so before we start Like I said, we got four amazing gentlemen here, and uh, I just want you gentlemen to each tell us a little bit about yourself, say your name, and a little bit about yourself before we continue. Start off with you right here. Yeah.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Chad. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm a commerce student here at Queen's. Um, so I'm just about to finish up my degree. Um, I first got involved in equity work through Qplus. Um, It's the Queer Professional Development Club uh, under the Commerce Society. And this year, I'm on the uh, shift advisory group, um, student advisory group with Taryn, um, where I kind of provide some recommendations on equity initiatives here at Queen's. Um, grew up in BC, moved here in 2019 for school, but yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Awesome, I'll go next. Uh, my name's Robert. Robert.
2: Um, I'm a first year master's student in epidemiology here at Queens uh, with a research focus on expanding access to healthcare to underserved and underprivileged uh, communities. Um, I first got started in equity work uh, in the third year, second year. Third year of my undergrad, uh, where I was one of the equity officers for the Queen's Debating Union. Um, it was an amazing experience. I got to uh, moderate conversations on Indigenous sovereignty um, and also participate in panels on uh, equity and student leadership. So I'm glad to be here today to talk about male allyship.
3: Great. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Owen Crawford Lam. I use he, him pronouns. I'm uh, in my fourth year of politics and uh, always kind of been somewhat involved on campus uh, and I, I would really say that this is probably um, a start of a, a journey in equity work that I'm really excited about, um, it's because only kind of becoming more involved I realize there's like so much work to be done uh, and you know both exciting and daunting at the same time and really excited that we're able to kind of bring it all together and maybe unpack some of these topics, so yeah, thanks for having me. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Jared Augustine, I'm a fifth year student
4: uh, in kinesiology. Uh, I work for the Office of Faith and Spiritual Life at Queen's, it's just next door, shameless plug. Um, yeah, it's a really great office. I'm a program assistant there, so I, uh, I create opportunities for students c- to connect um, with the community, with themselves, with uh, spirituality. Uh, that's been a really important role for me, I think, uh, and uh, I suppose my equity work. Um, in uh, one of the groups we I run, we talk a lot about um, Action through the heart and compassion and uh, just like important virtues to remember when we when we are trying to make change. Um, I used to be on the rugby team. I uh, stopped doing that in about my third year and I did some traveling in my undergrad, which was amazing. And now I'm here and I'll be graduating at the end of the semester. And I'm really excited to chat with all of you and I'm nervous, but it's really good. <laughs>
0: That's what's up. Um, Thank you uh, all all you for that intro and um, like I said, I'm excited just to sit back, listen and learn. Um, The first question I have, uh, it's going to be more of a popcorn style. So uh, just answer in one to two sentences max, right, real quick. And this question is just about, um, I find that we all experience different things. Like we could all be experiencing this podcast right here, right now but everybody has a different perception you know there's a different perspective you see this experience you see things that happen from a different lens right none of none of our lenses are the same right so i kind of want to know you know what your perception of the culture here at queen's is like and uh let's let's start
1: off with uh chad yeah for sure if i would describe the culture at queens i'd probably say that the first word that comes to mind is ambitious i think you know and being in commerce a lot of people are ambitious and um secondly i think it largely i think it does suit the stereotype that it has
2: yeah i guess uh i'll take it i think that the campus culture is very majoritarian it's very white it has to do with the traditions of the school that have been pretty long-standing i think recently that's kind of gone up against uh more progressive push for more equity in student spaces and trying to fight that tradition versus equity approach has been interesting
3: Mm -hmm. yeah i I definitely agree i think um really important kind of preface for who um i think you know my campus experience been very different than probably a lot of others um but i would say queens is in a an interesting place right now um kind of looking to the future but also wrestling with a Very interesting past, I think. Um, So I I think you know. I when it comes to campus culture, I'm I'm hopeful, um, and all because of things that like this that are going on. But um, yeah, I think I think it's we're 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 looking into the kind of the future of of what this campus might look like in a little while.
4: Yeah, I like I can I, I I resonate with all your guys' answers. I I'm I see like in my personal opinion the like. Um, it is very ambitious, it is very white, it is very, um, uh, I mean, we're situated on stolen land and the, f- the f- sort of foundation of this institution is that of colonial structures and um, sort of male-dominated governments, I, s- I suppose. But it, there is this like, yeah, this sort of flowering, very exciting um, uh, progressive push, um, it, even in like a common discourse of like, um pronouns and uh, mental health and like we're just starting to think about things um uh i think from a less traditional lens and i know that it's really helped me and uh it's been really nice i feel like i also noticed like where i situate myself is what i see more of and like um you know my fourth and fifth year i started surrounding myself with like more diverse people and more diverse ideas, and I was seeing it more, which is um, really exciting about that sort of perception thing, like you kind of give what you, you get what you give, I think, in some respects, as far as the uh, the culture.
0: Yeah, I can definitely resonate with a lot of what each of you said. Um, I My lens of Queens is mainly through the football world. Um, I've done a lot of recruiting here in my, and I remember in 2019, my first year here at Queens, I specifically, and I wasn't even gonna say this, but, I, I, Oh, and you kind of said something that triggered my my mind and uh, i remember going back to toronto to recruit at specific schools and i met a coach who i knew from my childhood and he said kwame like none of these kids are going to want to go to queens i said why he said uh like queens like everybody knows queens is racist like that was, that was exactly what he said and i was like really he's just like yeah and from that moment i kind of like took a mental note and I said, I'm going to I'm gonna help change that narrative. And I remember looking at my, my team at that time and being in the meeting and looking around and I saw that there was, a, I think it was about maybe 10 or 11 non-white players on that team. Fast forward to 2023, um, I look around in, in the room, I see at least 40 plus non-white players. So what exactly what you said, Owen, like we we're kind of like battling what the past past was but the future is is starting to look a a little bit more diverse and and uh it seems that like change is happening you know so it's it's good to see from from my perception uh let's jump into into this so a few few questions that we're going to ask today are based on a 2021 uh shift survey here at queen's and the first question here is that um the number one reason that students gave for hesitating to engage with students who were different from themselves was a fear of saying something that they, that would come across as offensive or insensitive. How might this fear dissuade men from engaging in anti-racist, anti-feminist, anti-ableist, uh, gender-inclusive allyship? How might we overcome this attitude barrier? Chad, hit me up. Yeah,
1: for sure. I think there's a lot to unpack in that question, but um, when I was thinking about this before our our recording session, um, it kind of came down to this prompt and that we're a product of our environments. So I think you know it's understandable that Queens is a very predominantly white school. And so when you have kids who perhaps didn't grow up in very diverse neighborhoods, they never equip themselves with the right skills to interact with people who have different backgrounds, different cultures, um, who are a, ge- a different gender identity, sexual orientation. Um, when you're not equipped, when you're not skilled in those areas, when you have an exposure and you suddenly you're put into an institution, you have to engage with all these different people I think it's pretty expan- self-explanatory that you would experience things like microaggression, racism, homophobia, um, etc. And so I think that for me largely explains why this, this general sentiment there, um, and I think the most important thing here is to be comfortable in getting uncomfortable, because I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of, um, you know, no one likes being uncomfortable. If you're lying in bed and your pillow isn't in the right um, place, you want to move it, right? You want to be comfortable. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the key to overcoming this, and I think through our chat today we'll get into some of that. Yeah, I think like,
4: uh, I, like I mean, fear is definitely a pointer in this respect, I feel like. Um, Like, in social situations where you do feel called to speak up about some sort of injustice. Like, just as you said, like, that fear, that discomfort is pointing you towards uh, where you should move and, like, what you should sort of embody in in some respects. I think I, I don't want to overstate
2: the extent to which this is a problem in that I think a lot of people put down that, oh, I have a fear of saying something that would come across as offensive, when in reality, I think it's just that they're uncomfortable, right? Because I think a lot of the time, no one who actually approaches issues of equity with an attitude of trying to learn and trying to help people gets turned away because of, like, little things, or if they hear that, they try to improve. Um, But I think often it's just fear of interacting with people that you haven't interacted before, um covered as like a oh I don't want to like offend anyone or be insensitive. Because if you want to like build a better world I think that this is like growing pains that you eventually have to learn about at some point. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that should dissuade in the meantime.
3: I, I I really like that as well. And something that we might be able to relate with as students, like I hear I feel like in the workplace you hear if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing it right. And I think the same might be able to be said here like obviously we're all going to make mistakes we're not going to say things um, that can be perfect but it's exactly you said you know if if that's kind of what's driving you to be a better version of yourself that's what matters and I think um, you know we've got to be able to overcome um, you know our, our fear or whatever it may be so that we can actually have those really really productive conversations like, like even in those moments like think of the alternative
4: to like you know, like you're you're in a situation uh, where you're scared about sort of pres- uh, uh, making a mistake or something like this. Like, but like look ahead. Like, what is the alternative? The alternative is quietness and complacency. You know, and and that is uh, the huge problem that we all know of. That like we're just letting things happen. And so, like, yeah, there is there's there's some heart to this, and there's like this place of compassion that that fear is coming from. And like, um, yeah, and you know would speak up or be quiet like those are the two options i think when you're presented with that yeah um i so what i'm hearing
0: from everyone here is just that it's about growth right and if you want to grow you have to go through uncomfortable situations like growth is uncomfortable and every aspect of growth is uncomfortable and having uncomfortable conversations will lead to growth right is, is that what we're, we're saying here 100 percent. so robert you said something about covering Right, he says something about people covering things up, and uh, there's a term called covering that, that alludes to trying to fit in, in uh, it, with the majority. You know, when minorities or marginalized groups try to fit in, they hide certain aspects of themselves that make them different to fit in with what the majority is. And in, in this survey, there's a, there's another uh, key stat here that 65% of racialized students who responded said that they felt like they needed to hide some aspect.
2: Of their identity to fit in. You want to talk about that, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is something that I've personally experienced, but I thought would be important to bring up in the context of uh, this podcast um, with relation to the intersection between gender and race in the way that racialized or uh, students of color, uh, especially women of color who are students at Queens, have to cover up and try and Put a mask on um, because oftentimes in my experience talking to my friends who are women of women of color who have gone to universities like queens and western often feel like they're not taken seriously not just because of their race or because of their gender but because of the intersection of those two things and how they're perceived as a black woman and not taken seriously and their opinions are disregarded or taken as i don't know too adversarial even though other students can vote voice adversarial opinions and not be, have much pushback so i think that it's important to recognize that when we're talking about allyship that it takes different forms depending on the identities of the people involved and that it's important to take that consideration in mind
1: yeah absolutely i, I really love that point about intersectionality like you add in the factor of religion um add in the factor of like sexual orientation gender identity um as well you know it's it's extremely challenging, and I, I think when I first saw this sad, I, w- I felt like the word that I wrote down my notes was like, sad, like this is really, really sad that this is what, you know, marginalized students have to um, encounter, and I think I want to point at, you know, some, some things that maybe might shine some light on how uh, things add up together, and I I think the word microaggressions is, is a really important one, you know perhaps you're you know eating uh cultural food um at home um with some housemates, and perhaps they tell you that it's not something that they welcome there, you know even like these little interactions that um you see on a day to day basis they add up and they accumulate, and that takes an Im- um incredible amount of mental t- toll on women of color people of color queer people of color um yeah yeah, I like I'm,
4: I'm just thinking about, like, sort of the, the power in identity and the power in story um, as, this, like as we relate to fitting in. Because I think Queen's is, like, for me, especially my first two years, was, like, really good at making me feel like I had to act in a certain way and be a certain way and present myself in a certain way. And it's exhausting. And it doesn't... I have shoes on that don't fit me, and it hurts. Um, and... Um, thinking about kind of shedding that and, like, uh, having a little bit more confidence in my identity, like, it has afforded me, like, a real, like, sense of power and, like, um, and it's received well, you know? Like, um, so, I mean, uh, I'm not sure how I, I can speak to what the conformer can do, but I can speak to, like, the racialized student in that, like, you have so much power in who you are and, and presenting that unapologetically. Um, yeah, and that's a potent, something potent for change, I feel. So you feel like, in a sense, it's kind of like the
0: racialized student needs to know themselves more like i I, and i'm with you on that because i feel like self-love is the first and foremost love like you gotta know yourself love yourself and and when you really truly love yourself you just move different in this world and nothing can really sway you either way but at the same time um it's it's human nature for us to uh to wanna like fit in you know like that's that's just how it is It, it is you know and you have to be be mentally and emotionally like really secure with yourself to be that way so i feel like that's like a a deeper talk um but to go along with what everybody said yeah like like it's natural for us to want to cover but it's a little bit more when you when you have that intersectionality when you are a marginalized person so um how how, like the, the real question is like what other advice can you give to somebody from a marginalized group who is struggling like at in in the in the business world, you know the the the, the black woman who ha, one she's a black woman in a business world who has to bite her tongue, hold her tongue because she doesn't want to be seen as the angry black woman. How does that person navigate in that situation?
2: Um, I think given my conversations with my friends who are black women in business, um. I think one of the most difficult parts is because you feel the need to cover, you cannot then like express yourself as you want to. And personal branding, the ability to express yourself, particularly in business, is usually how a way to differentiate yourself and to actually, if this is what you're putting your life into, right, then you should be able to represent yourself and your beliefs unapologetically as yourself. So I feel like, it, there's an ability now, I think that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago or 20 years ago, to have this be a strength where, uh, where I think in the past, it has been a pretty significant weakness um, in that trying to like become yourself and express yourself in that way is something that's difficult to overcome. But I think once you overcome it, it is something that then becomes a position of strength that you can use in the future. I agree. I I find
0: that people admire um, people admire pride. They pride, they admire when somebody can can be unapologetically themselves. That's what I find in this world. Um, so let's move on to the next uh, sequence of questions. You know, we're here to unpack male allyship. That's what we're here for, like the importance of it. So we got to start off with another popcorn question style. What is male allyship? Like, what do you think of when I say the word word male allyship? So once again, in one se- sentence to two sentences. Um, let me know. Anyone can
4: start. Um, shut up and listen. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I think a important one. Yeah, listen.
3: Yeah, create space for um, the people that need it. I don't think I can say it more succinct than that. I think um, well, <laughs> when I when I think about the word ally, I. My history brain goes to war <laughs> and you know who who's in it with you uh, and I think um, you know many similarities probably can be drawn between war and life um, but you know to make sure that you actually have people around you that are you know in it for you with you um, and will do everything for you um, in any situation is kind of what what first jumps to my mind yeah yeah
2: and I think on that idea of like who's in it with you is what are you willing to do Right, Because it's not just that you say you're with me, but that you never actually show up when it like, actually matters. To be an ally means that you have to be there in positions where it makes you uncomfortable, where you have the ability to actually make the difference. Um, and I think that actually like, putting up or shutting up matters a lot when you're trying to be a useful ally.
1: Yeah, um, the sentence I wrote down here is that you're actively using your inherent privileges to make others feel safe, included, and welcome. Um, so that's what I would say, maybe all is.
0: Well, I love that. I love that. And that analogy of war really hit me. Like I, I saw the picture in my head, you know. Um, when you're in war, uh, you know, I, I thought of like one of those uh, Scottish uh, mo- movies, you know, like Braveheart, you know. And in Braveheart, you're not going to see any of the allies going the other way. They're fighting to, to the end. So that, that's what's about. I love that. So back to the survey. Why is participation of men in allyship work so important? So evidence shows that when men are engaged in gender-inclusive programs in workplaces, 96% of organizations see progress as opposed to 30% of organization, organizations when men are not engaged. What might this st- statistic tell us about the importance of male allyship in creating a
2: healthy campus culture. Robert? Uh, I think the most obvious thing is that men perpetuate misogyny and that having men in uh, feminist programs, more inclusive programs, work because men perpetuate misogyny and they need to be held to account and understand what they are doing and how they affect others. But I think, diving a little bit deeper, is that it addresses that misogyny is often pernicious and, and manifests in a way that devalues the opinions of women particularly marginalized women, and that because it devalues the opinions of women and other gender minorities, a platform and validation that needs to exist for opinions from these groups to even hold the same weight as opinions to, as the weight given typically to male opinions. And I think that this also, this kind of creates a space when men are involved in these sorts of programs where validation and platforming then becomes an area of allyship that I think becomes very important.
3: I think maybe to even take it one step further is figuring kind of how much space you take up as an individual. And I kind of have an, and you know, my, my realization of that has been interesting. Um, I'll just use an example of just like in a situation, I feel no issues speaking up, having that platform, as you said, but then thinking about that, okay, so why do I actually feel completely all right to, you know, (laughs) say whatever I want about a subject um and perhaps someone in the exact same room in the exact same seat has a completely different view of the situation and you know barriers to speaking up or, or whatnot so I think really for for men it's understanding first how much space you take up what that means for everyone else um And then doing everything you can to you know provide other people those platforms and 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 that type of stuff how do how do do we figure that out like how do i figure out how much space i take up i think that's a really it's a good question i i don't have an answer but it's it's starting with just opening your eyes and looking around and just like okay am i always the one that's putting my hand up or Mm. answering these questions um and you know looking around perhaps why is that? Why not? I think it's an internal reflection of why you necessarily feel a certain way in a certain situation mm-hmm. and then and then kind of just your own journey through that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm interested to hear other people's. Yeah, there's
4: like there's like there's physical space, but then there's like the social space, you know, and there's like that emotional space of like, even what you're saying, like sort of validating what people have to say and like, what what you deem valuable, what you deem worth considering, and like, yeah, there's so many different ways that we kind of take up space, and like, I just hadn't really thought of it like that because it it gives you like, a real it gives you a good perspective, like it gives you a good like, um yeah i I just appreciate that i'm gonna chew on that i think Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah,
1: i think a good exercise to always do is like when you're in a room let's say you're in a group project right like look around um i think engineering is a really good example or like computing it's very male dominated i've heard multiple times from you know women in that program that they don't feel welcome speaking up they've been talked Mm -hmm. over um it's a consistent thing that's happened before so on that note of like opening your eyes and looking around like literally just look around like it's it's not that hard really like that some people's opinions are overlooked um they're disregarded um but yeah i think that's a good exercise to always do like yeah who's speaking the most in a room yeah and there's like a maybe there's even like you have to be willing to give up
4: you know what i mean like give up that space too which is like perhaps that sort of discomfort that we're talking about like a lot of space is pretty comfortable. You know what I'm saying? And like, so yeah, like giving up that space is that male, like is that like going into the war with them and like sacrificing what you have to like make a healthier campus culture um, or wherever you might find yourself.
1: Yeah, and I th- also think a really important thing to keep in mind is like, let's say you were in a position where, you know, someone called you out, right? Um, how should you react to that? I think that's a good, it's always good to run through the, like, these cases. By yourself, I think case-based like workshops are really helpful in that sense. Um, will you take it personally? Like, will you argue back? Um, I think that's really important to in mind. When somebody well. calls you out, you said? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Are you gonna be defensive? yeah. Like, um, mm.
0: yeah that, Love
1: it. Love
0: the conversation. I find that um, whenever there's like, I don't know, let's say it's Pride Month or Black History Month. The burden always falls on, often falls on marginalized groups to advocate for themselves and those who they sh- share their identities. What do you gentlemen feel are some things that people from a more privileged, relatively speaking, uh, background can do to reduce the emotional labor on these groups? Like, for instance, uh, I remember uh, growing up and like whenever Black History Month came up, I always felt, and it, it just happened more as like I kind of climbed up in uh, in the world, meaning like going to university, you know. Where I wasn't, there wasn't as many people that looked like me in those uh, in those rooms, and I always felt like when Black History Month came or something associated with Black people, everybody would kind of look at me to do something. When at that time. Yes, I'm a black man, but I wasn't really educated on my own history, you know, so I felt pressure to speak on something I didn't really know about. And I kind of felt a little bit fake, too. So. In all your opinions, what are some things that we can do to kind of reduce the pressure and emotional labor that people put on the marginalized groups? Mm -hmm. Um, Chad, you can start.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really, really big question. Um, so I'll kind of break it down, I think, in my mindset um, into like a simple way that you could get started and also like a more um, comprehensive way, I would say. I think a simple way is like, you know, there's a lot of good films that are, for example, Woman Talking, an Oscar-nominated film, talks about gender violence um, against women. And, you know, go to the screening room. Like, go watch it, listen, engage with it, think about it. What are some of the areas that like, make you go like, hmm, like... I wonder, like, what's that about? Like, go look more into that, right? Um, let's say you wanna be more educated in, you know, uh, different cultural things. Like, go try some of the different like restaurants in Kingston, right? Like, Mekong is a really good one. One of my favorites. Um, every time someone says that they don't know me, Con, I, I literally, like, I gasp because um, it, it's just that much of a surprise to me. Like, go try these different cultural foods. I think food is a really good gateway into learning about different cultures. So that's like the simple way, I would say. I think the more comprehensive way, there's things that can educate you in more, like, detail. For example, um, the Human Rights and Equity Office, they have a lot of different training modules, um, like on confirmation bias, really good stuff. Um, you can go and do those. I think they sometimes even have like certificate programs I run throughout the year um, that you could do for free. Um, you can also engage, I think, with things like the Shift Project, you can listen to some of the podcasts that are on Spotify, all the streaming platforms, I think. Um, there's also like good video essays on YouTube that you could listen to. Like, look up like um, Colorism video essay, like, listen to that maybe while you're um, taking a shower, doing something. Um, and then I think the last thing is like showing support, like whether or not you think it makes a difference, I think social media is very powerful. Like go and follow the equity, um, the groups that are doing equity work on campus, like engage with them, like their posts, like that's a very simple first step to do. Um, and I think that way you'll start getting as well, like diverse content into your news feed, um, to kind of break that confirmation bias you might already experience.
3: I'll maybe go, I, I think, um, just to really underscore the importance of education as exactly how you said you know um people look to you to plan black history month because of the way you identify uh and and the, you know the way you present but you didn't necessarily have that educational background of your culture or whatever it may be to actually feel confident in being able to do that but that was just kind of an assumption people made and people make assumptions all the time um but if we if other people privileged people are able to do that education um, then I think you know we've we've taken many steps forward Um, I think you know kind of look at it from you know a very privileged point of view I would never I, I would feel apprehensive about you know planning something like Black History Month because I just don't know enough about it but it's that education piece so I think about when we're trying to challenge ourselves and well why do would I feel uncomfortable in this situation or whatnot Um, it's exactly because I don't know enough and well what's the (laughs) what's the way for you to learn more it's through education Um, so I I, I really appreciate you bringing that up
2: yeah and I think jumping off that so uh, talking about the burden that falls on marginalized groups part of that burden is that it's never good enough to just be okay to just be mediocre you have to be extraordinary you have to be better than everyone else just to get a spot the same spot at the table Right, so I had this conversation a couple of days ago. We're advocating for um, Black history and equity, um, and it's like I want to be able to be a Black person and not have to be extraordinary right I want to just have the ability to be okay and not know that much and not have to speak about every black issue that comes across my screen as if I'm a sense of authority and I think that kind of extrapolated out to marginalized groups in particular this is a burden that often falls on them right every queer person has to be an expert on queer history right for when pride month comes around Um, every black person needs to be an expert on black history every time black history month rolls around and it's that expectation to educate and I think that kind of like a three-step process that I think is really good is hear, believe, and speak, right? Hear, as in you actually have to be, I don't know, you you actually have to come into contact with these ideas, right? And as Chad was talking about, like, I don't know, go watch video essays, right? If you don't interact with these ideas, but you know that they exist, um, believe, because I think a lot of people hear these ideas, right? Privileged people, and then dismiss them out of hand as if they aren't, like, they don't align with my lived experience therefore they don't they aren't valid i think believing is an important step in that you have to realize that other people have different lived experiences than you do and actually like take them on as it as if they because they are as important as your own and then you have to speak in spaces right where marginalized people of right of any kind are not there you have to speak and raise these issues because if you don't then who will
1: i love that yeah i'm a That's sucker awesome, for those yeah. three process things Hear,
0: believe, speak, preach. Uh, I want to see something on social media with that. Uh, looking at Queen Shift Project. Um, you know, and what you guys, what you gentlemen all said is exactly what it is. You know, like what I'm taking home is that it, it's a collective effort. It's a collective effort. It's not just the marginalized group, it's, it's also us trusting that you're going to take the step to educate yourself, you know, and which comes off as more authentic and real. So, um, yeah, I'd love that locker room talk, locker room talk. Let's talk about locker room talk, you know, among it. it it's something that in society or over the years that we've seen as a, considered like an inherent thing amongst men and their friendships. That's how their friendships are usually built based on, um, what we've seen over the years. What is there to gain from addressing this type of thing when we hear it? And how can we change this narrative? And just for clarification, anybody listening, listen, not, we're not saying you can't talk in a locker room. We're just saying you can't talk. About, you shouldn't be talking in a certain way or about certain things that degrade other people in a locker room. That's what we're saying.
4: Yeah, that's Jared, like, yeah, what's your perspective? That's that sort of culture of like, oh, come on, you know, like... It's just the boys talking, like, I think that that, like, I think it's a a sort of a a dampening or some, like, undermining of, like, these are spots where culture is created. Like, this is where, this is how we are, understand our relationship with women or anyone else uh, equity deserving is, like, within, um, male, uh, intramale relationships within the safety of like a locker room or uh, a, a schoolhouse you know um, yeah I, I mean i've been on a lot of sports teams, and i haven 't always been very good with this um, like like this like sense of and we kind of talked about it at the beginning like this social uh, conformity and this complacency, you know, and like, in my feeling, when I when I've experienced locker room talk, it, the harmful kind of locker room talk, it's been like um, three or four guys perpetuating it, and sixteen guys in quiet who know that this isn't what we should be talking about or thinking about or referring to people, um, but they don't say anything because there's this real like sense of uh, social conformity and. Um, and if you were to talk out, if you were to speak out, then you're exiled, you know, you're, you're, you're out of the social loop. Um, and yeah, and like, I, and it, and it's tough, it, it, it's tough to um, be the first one to say something. But I really, I, I really believe that like, if you are willing to like, uh, take that first step and, and, and call it out, um, that a, quite a few people will be there with you and will feel the same way. And... Um, it's there that new culture is created. And it, it, then it becomes those four or five guys are much less willing to uh, express the things that they have because then they become the ones that are socially exiled. And um, yeah, I think,
2: yeah. I think on that, it's like not just that you address it because addressing is, is important, but I think it's the way in which you address it um, because there are ways that probably work a bit more and ways that don't. I think that because you're never going to speak to someone who's engaging in this t- kind of talk and say, don't be misogynistic, like don't hate on women. And then they're going to go, oh, yeah, oh, forgot, you know, like I think it's something that's always in the back of your mind, but something that just in this social context is something that nobody's thinking about. I think addressing it in the way that just, no, knock it off. Like there's like no room for argument because it's something that you should already know right it's not like oh I'm gonna like try and prove this to you it's like no you treat people with respect and that's just like a given that's a full stop that's just how it is and I think that that is a people it's, it's hard to get back against oh I'm just treating everyone with respect that's it right I think it's when you like bait in the conversation and then it's an argument I think you lose the actual like foundation which is just like no we're just not doing this
4: because then that- they they dig in deeper almost when you come at them yeah. with that like no you know what I mean but mm-hmm. I love that it's just like it's not part it's not it's not what we do mm-hmm. there's like I've, there's this other thing that like take it with a grain of salt or something Um, but like I've also found that like kind of like <sighs> bringing in some sense of like making them see their own ignorance you know and like making it like uh l- their ignorance laughable like you're kind of a little bit of a joke for like even speaking about these kind of things um that's really i f- i mean in my experience that has been really potent and really cuts through their their garbage you know like but this is yeah the way you approach it it's yeah really-
2: because arguing it gives a sense of like oh it's something to be argued Right, it's, it's something to like have a conversation yeah. about. When oftentimes it's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to have a conversation about it. It's just bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but obviously, like social groups and everything, it's important to like, like, like they It's some something that's often hard, but I think something that's necessary if you're going to actually, I don't know, have principles and stand for them. And. Yeah. I, th-
3: I think one of the things as well, um, as as similar to you, you know been on many sports teams many locker rooms and and I would say that you know this type of behavior is not just in a locker room it's in houses it's at parties it's at, it's it's everywhere and one of the things that I probably had the hardest time working through well first I just didn't call that at all I was one of those guys who just kind of sat back and said I don't, what's the harm I don't see it now I see it so now I try my best to call it out but I think um, for me, it's then the antagonization almost of like, well, why are you doing Like, who cares? It's just a locker room. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's a difficult one to not feel the need to like stand up like, what are you talking about? Like, are you crazy right now? Like, you don't see the need for basic respect and like the words that come out of your mouth. Um, and then it, it, it's turned into kind of something for me that like someone will say something slightly offensive or misogynistic and then everyone will just look at me and see if I'm going to say anything. Uh, and that's an interesting space to be in as well when like you're the one who kind of has that authority to either say something oh yeah no that was okay or no that wasn't okay and then what do you do with that um, so really challenging for me you know <laughs> trying to actually live um, the way I want to uh, and then kind of like what do you do with that what's next after <laughs> so yeah just a personal experience there
1: yeah and I want to shine some light um, on some I think I think the personal stories are always very like powerful right? Um, so I'm gonna share a story from a varsity player that was actually here at Queens um, his name was his name is Donovan, um, and he was a varsity player um, and he was gay and he went through a lot of challenges, especially like literally in the locker room. So he wrote kind of like an opinion piece um, in out sports and online magazine for uh, queer athletes. Uh, I'm just going to read a little blur from here, um, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm reading it afterwards. So he said, it was more than just the odd joke or comment here or there. My teammates would actively change their Tinder preferences to find gay students in the area and out them to the campus to ridicule them. They actually did that. I would enter the locker room to find written on the chalkboard, ex teammate uses grinder plus it was their way to insinuate that they were less of an athlete by comparing them to a gay man and i think that blurb when i read it um was really powerful um in the sense that you can see how locker room talk manifests itself into actual harmful action and the result was that donovan later transferred to um the winnipeg rifles i believe um and that's kind of where he's at now. He struggled through like depression, you know, everything dealing with that. And it, I think it's a good example to always keep in mind. And I really wanted to share his story. I actually reached out to him on social media and asked if I could share it. And he said that was really cool. So um, I'm really happy that I had a chance to share that. And I hope that his story is known more on campus.
2: I think that kind of leads into something that we probably talk about in a bit, which is like men's relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it, especially a lot of like when you're growing up, is like, don't do this or else you won't be a man. Or like, if you do this, you're not as much of a, of a man. And I think kind of like building that masculinity up by tearing into itself and tearing parts of people away is part of kind of like what destroys, I think, men's sense of positive masculinity and their ability to kind of positively impact the world um, while being masculine. And it's something that I've had to like confront with and something that I think like shows itself in like this locker room talk and these experiences of marginalized athletes, right? Like you talked about Chad, where it's just like the process of being someone who is a man should not be a process of tearing things away from yourself. It should be an uplifting process of like, um, and I think that, yeah. So I think that addresses also like the locker room talk and how that impacts male relationships as well. Mm-hmm.
0: I think um, this is a bigger beast than like we sometimes realize. I think, uh... There's so many years of, like, programming from media and society that a lot of males have, uh, don't even realize, is embedded in them, you know. And, for instance, because I'm going to use myself as an example, um, growing up, the world told me, based on where I grew up, that I, and color of my skin, that I could only be a few things. It told me that I would be an athlete, a rapper, a thug, a womanizer, or a comedian—those are the only five things I saw of people that look like me in this world. And then when I look around in my neighborhood and in my environment, that's what I see. So I'm automatically connected to that. So I, I believe that it's more about the approach than just saying you should do this, you should do that. You know, I think it's about getting men to see people with respect. When you have respect for somebody, you, can't, you see the world through their eyes. You don't see them just as this label, you see them as a human being. You see them as your mother, your sister, your brother, your cousin, you see them in that way. And when you're able to see the world through somebody's eyes and you, you have a connection with them, you can feel what they feel, you'd be really evil to even like have that point of view or even have that locker room talk. So I think that it's more about the approach it definitely is about the approach and and each of us as men here it's it's on us to make sure we have these conversations with our circles you know because um the one conversation can change everything you know maybe whatever you said owen at that time they might have been laughed but that's a seed you planted in them and at some point you know what they might see something else it may, may connect to what owen said back then and be like dang he was right but that's change right there right but to say nothing is not allowing any change to ever happen. Okay, um, sorry, I got deep for a second. No, yeah. Um, fi- let's let's move on to the final thoughts. Final thoughts. In your opinion, is the key in get what is the key in getting men to see their role in chain- challenging oppression on campus and beyond. So, what is the key to getting men? man to see their role in challenging oppression on the campus and beyond jared start it up
4: yeah i i i'm I'm having trouble figuring that one out like it kind of relates to what we were talking about before with the healthy or the burden falling on marginalized people and like um people of privilege like they need to listen and they need to educate themselves but like what about the population that isn't even gonna listen to this podcast? Like, won't even consider even putting it on. You know what I mean? And, like, I just don't know how to, like, kind of crack through to those people. Cause, like, maybe there's a time where we need to shove it down their throats and, like, okay, let's do it. Um, but day to day, where, like, there's just people with, like, walking around with such immense amount of ignorance and, like, s- self absorbedness. Like, there's this, there's this thing that my dad tells me is, like, like i don't know how it goes fully but you can't you you bring a horse to a watering hole but you can't make it drink you know like like we can show people of privilege and ignorance like these are the things that we need and these are the things that we're talking about um but i feel like it's up to them to um uh, process it and to hold it and planting those seeds i really like that language because there comes a point where you can't not see it you know you can't be ignorant anymore and if you're willfully willful, willfully ignorant then like you got some serious work to do but um, yeah maybe there comes a point after hearing this stuff and seeing this stuff quite a bit that um, yeah you can't look away I've I, and perhaps also an approach um, one kind of approach and I'd love to hear you guys take on it is like um, telling them what we can create in Um, efforts of equity and in my opinion what I've found is like any attempt to find compassion or empathy for another person has afforded me a a great deal of compassion empathy for myself and if nothing else this thing that we're trying to do is a selfish grab at compassion for yourself you know Um, I mean that's I can get into all sorts of conversations but um, yeah like just just more compassion, I think. That's, that's been like, where my head's at, been at for a long time.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I appreciate that. And I, had, I had a little bit of trouble thinking what's the key, and the key's probably wrapped it up in somewhere, something that we've all said. Um, but I think it, it's uh, it's the respect, it's the empathy, it's the compassion, it's everything, and I think it's the weaving all of that into the way that you want to live your life. Um, and I mean, if you want to walk around willfully ignorant, then I mean, <laughs> great. Those aren't the people we're trying to reach. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, they never are. But it's, it's figuring out how you want to live your life and what values um, m- drive you to be a better person every single day. And how allyship and, you know, calling these things out and everything that we've talked about works into everything that you are trying to do, trying to become a better person. So I don't know if that's like the key, but I think if all of this can be wrapped up into who you kind of want to be, who you're trying to embody, who your, who your role models are. Like mm-hmm. it even goes back to that. Like, who do you look up to? Um, who do you surround yourself with? Like there's so many different things that I think need to be thought about. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really working way into, you know, how, how you want to be as a person.
2: Yeah. I think something that I think sometimes get, gets lost in the weeds is a vision for what a more equitable future looks like. I think com- like a lot of the time it can seem like a lot of work and you're putting in a lot of effort and you're asking people to look at their privilege and reevaluate and think about how they live their lives. Uh, I think there is a way to frame it where a more equitable world is better for everyone. It's better for you. It's better for me. It's better for all groups of people to be able to interact with one another and not have prejudice like weighing us down. And I think positive language like that um, can be used effectively to kind of like spread these messages in a way that doesn't get people immediately on the back burner. Because take a look at your own privilege, Reevaluate is something that people can put up a wall against. I think the positive spin on it gives it a way to kind of like get in past the defenses and then... And then you can hit them with, okay, now let's like take a look, reevaluate, try and like some of this stuff, um, but beginning with like positive vision, empathy, w- like this is better for everyone. I think that sort of messaging can work.
1: Absolutely, I I, I love that, um, and I think I'm gonna tie this to like a TikTok trend. I think that was going on a while ago. It was like I think Taylor Swift has a song called Mastermind or something. You know where you know you mastermind someone, and I think in this context specifically, you can kind of mastermind to create more male allies. And but by cre- helping helping them be more open-minded, right? So I touched on earlier, um, film, I think is a good way, very easy gateway to becoming more open-minded about social issues etc food is a a really good way so let's say you have a friend who you think you know could could be more open-minded there's there's room for improvement right everyone has room for improvement Um, you invite them to go see a movie perhaps woman talking that I mentioned earlier or you go and eat um, try some Vietnamese food at Mekong for example I think that's a really easy way to help people become more open-minded and then you know afterwards right as, as well i like keep using the positive language like um Robert mentioned and afterwards like you know put in some of the other maybe perhaps um deeper content like intersectionality hey do you know what intersectionality is by the way oh you don't let me let me tell you a little bit about it once maybe they have their food at the table etc cetera, etc cetera, i think that's a good easy way to kind of mastermind more male
2: allies also real talk <laughs> talk to women Totally. Say
1: that
2: again. Yeah. But like just talk to women. Like the most information I've had about like my own space and the space that men take up in general in society has been through my conversation with women as friends, as family, and just kind of understanding a perspective that is different than my own and one that is a, a lived experience that is different than mine, and valuing those people and their opinions has given me a much different shift in what my
3: role should be in challenging this oppression than I think anything else has. So important. I was I want to tell a story earlier about that transition for me. It started when I lived in a coat house. Like it was just completely changed the way that I looked at the world because I saw how <laughs> a woman goes about the world who is my mom, seriously. Like <laughs> and it was so different. So like it just really spot on I think
0: um, for me it's about diversifying your network. Um, Over the past few years, I intentionally started like following people who I usually wouldn't follow on Instagram, like accounts I usually would never follow. And what I noticed is just like my perception of the world has changed because like what I just said before, like I'm starting to see the world through other people's lenses. And I think if we diversify our networks and just like follow people who have a different opinion as you, you know, follow somebody on campus who you probably never would have talked to just for the sake of it. Just follow them. That right there is an influence. That's an opportunity for you to influence them. They're going to start seeing your your news feed. They're going to see your stories, you know, and that's kind of like that could be the, the, the little bridge you start to create. So like social media is is a, is a gift and it could be a curse, too. But we could really use it as, as, a, as a gift for us. We could use it as a powerful tool by diversifying our networks. So I highly encourage everybody to, ch- to try that. Um, we're almost done, I got, I got two more questions. I kind of feel like we kind of answered this question, but we'll try this again. Popcorn style too. What tangible steps can we take as allies to, follow, to foster inclusivity
2: on campus? Popcorn All right. style, anybody I'll start off. Um. I think there's a few first reach out to people Uh, be willing to have conversations with people that maybe outside your comfort zone maybe people you wouldn't otherwise talk to Uh, be willing to have your mind changed never go into anything or any conversation with your mindset in stone there is always something that will change your mind a different perspective and that finally approach all people with respect and with love Um, you will you get back what you give into the world and i think that This is something that if people just approached everyone else with respect and their ideas and their perspectives with respect, I think that it would do a lot to foster inclusivity and just a general feeling of belonging to all people.
1: I think I'll echo what I said before about food and film. I think food and film are easy gateways, you know, to start um, and then Imagine starting to educate yourself through the resources available on campus like at the human rights and equity office very intuitive and like well-designed training modules like we're a good place to start
3: for for me i think um i think we touched on a lot of it we kind of what we were talking about before but maybe perhaps from you know a leadership perspective um and i think i you actually said at the beginning listen learn and then lead so figure out what you're actually doing Um, talk to people have these conversations um, make sure you're open to to different opinions and you know you can take them or not at the end of the day but be open to having those conversations Um, and I think that the rest will come easier the path I think as we were talking before education i think education lights the way for so many different things so the path i think slowly starts to become clearer the more you educate the more you talk to people um so i'd probably leave it with that you know just listen learn and then actually lead and do something
4: yeah i got i got i don't i'm not sure i'll have anything really new but because you guys have touched on so many important things um for me it's been like Tangible steps for fostering inclusive campus. Maybe it's a it's a question of like looking at yourself and looking at like who you've considered worthy of of time, of space, uh, of opinion, and things like this. Um, like it does. It starts with you. You know, it starts with like what what your conce- concepts are in your mind and where you've sort of demarcated people into certain groups. Um, I think there's another thing about like, I felt very strongly about this of like, creating space for women to connect. Um, that's maybe in a position of leadership, but like letting them have space to connect and letting whatever flower flower. And um, and I think that's for like, sort of any equity deserving person, um, like to be able to find like your people and like kind of the people that uh, bring out the best of you is like, incredibly important yeah
0: all right so we're pretty much done um, I got one more question it's not on it's not on the sheet but I got one more question just a quick surprise uh, it's not nothing hard um, first off this has been this has been a very therapeutic conversation I've i been really enjoyed this conversation just to hear about everybody's perspectives and, and lived experiences um, and I know that we're gonna all walk away from here with some notes in our minds, you know, like something, we all learn something from this. We're all gonna take away something from this. There's value in this conversation. In a couple of years or maybe next year, you're gonna think, look back to this conversation and you're gonna think to yourself, man, this conversation was something. What's one word, each of you? can use to describe this conversation? One word that you, you're taking home from this conversation. One word that describes this experience for you, and, and why, quickly why? Chad, you could start.
1: I think the word hopeful comes to mind. I think um, I'm more excited and more um, hopeful, I guess, for the future, which is always awesome.
2: Um, I don't have a word. I think kind of a quick phrase maybe is that the the work is unfinished, right? In that we came into this, I think, with great ideas and ways to move forward, but a lot rests in the execution. You have to follow through in leading and being a person who's willing to push change uh, in order to actually see kind of like the fruits of your labor and to build a better society. And I think reminding yourself that showing up and doing a podcast isn't the end of your work it's a part in the process and just
3: trying to be
2: a leader and push forward
3: yeah i'm not sure i have have one word either but i think um i think it's just the momentum that you know we're seeing right here um to be honest really like really glad we had this conversation today and hearing um just your perspectives on everything, but also kind of, I mean, looking around, there aren't too many male identifying people in the audience who I see, which is interesting. Um, And I think really points to the ongoing work and the the really unfinished work um, that has to be done, but at least these conversations are starting to happen. Uh, And I think that's positive and hopeful.
4: Yeah, my word's emotional. I feel, I just feel, uh, I have so much to learn like I kind of saw these questions and I was like yeah I can like you know I can answer something but like I really like I do have a lot of listening to do and learning to do and it just feels super heavy and it's uh it's tough at times it's just tough to see the way a lot of people are oppressed and hurt and so when I talk about it or when I think about it, it kind of gets me feeling so I think yeah emotional
0: Thank you. Um, I'm trying to just unpack everything that you guys said. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for uh, this space, sharing this space and sharing your stories and perspectives. And what I'm taking home from this is that we are hopeful for a brighter future. We are hopeful for change. And we do at the same time understand that there is a lot of work still to be done. We've done some work, but there's still a lot to be done. But the momentum we're creating is gonna bring that brighter tomorrow, but it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot of emotional output based on everything you guys said. So I just wanna thank you, thank all of you for this, this, this time. I wanna thank the, our crowd here, our, our audience, Thank you for being here and creating uh, a safe space for these gentlemen to, to speak their truth. Uh, thank you, uh, The Queen Shift Project. Thank you, Taryn. Thank you, Rob. Um, it, it, this was definitely uh, something i personally feel i needed and I, i'm pretty sure everybody here needed and for everybody listening out there if you want to listen to listen to more or find out more about the queen shift project check them out on uh, instagram the queen's shift Pro- uh, shift project the queen shift project and we're on spotify too the queen shift Pro- Pro- podcast for everybody here the queen shift podcast and it's been honor and pleasure and i just want to thank everybody again And, um, do we have any questions or no questions? All right. Once again, I am Kwame Osei. It's been an honor and pleasure. Much love, much blessings. We're out.